Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. It is Tuesday, August 9th, and this is People Every Day. Hi, everyone. Janine Rubenstein back with you today. We've got a lot in store, including an in-depth look at the life and career of the late, great, and incredibly talented Olivia Newton-John. Her close friend, actress Jane Seymour, joins us today with her memories. Plus, we have a brand new episode of The Bachelorette to discuss with friend of the show and Bachelor alum, Nick Vile. So much. But first, let's start with the news that's been lighting up my timeline today. Former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home in Palm Beach, Florida, was searched by the FBI yesterday as they executed a warrant as part of an investigation. The FBI did not immediately respond to people's requests for comment on the matter, but a people source who was present at Mar-a-Lago at the time of the search said, quote, the mood was pure shock. Trump announced the news of the search in a statement via email to his supporters, where he stated that his, quote, beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raided, and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. The former reality star went on to add that they even broke into my safe. Now, Trump was not in Florida at the time of the search, which seems to have been focused on his office and personal quarters. Another interesting angle to all of this is the fact that current FBI director Christopher Wray was appointed to that role in 2017 while the former president was in office. He was essentially Trump's hire. This is not the first time federal officials have visited Trump's Florida home. Back in February, the National Archives and Records Administration, or NARA, released a statement saying that federal government officials went to Florida to retrieve 15 boxes of documents and items from the former president, which the agency said should have been handed over at the end of his time in office. The news media had a field day with this story yesterday, and all kinds of theories were banded about on social media. I am very interested to learn what the FBI was looking for, and more importantly, what they actually found. Moving on, we have an update on actress Anne Heche. As you may recall from our coverage yesterday, on Friday, the Six Days, Seven Nights actress was behind the wheel of her Mini Cooper when it slammed into a house in a neighborhood in Los Angeles. The house and vehicle were engulfed in flames, and while the resident of the home was not injured, Heche was rushed to the hospital. A rep for Heche tells people that she is, quote, in a coma and has not regained consciousness. The rep also shared that the actress suffered a significant pulmonary injury requiring mechanical ventilation and burns that require surgical intervention. Heche is in critical condition at the hospital. Witnesses have also shared details of events prior to the crash into the home. Heche had reportedly first crashed into a garage of an apartment complex, managed to reverse and drive off before eventually crashing into the nearby home and igniting the blaze. We will continue to keep you updated as more details emerge. And in the world of sports, one of the greatest athletes of all time is gearing up to sit things out for good. In a new Vogue article, 40-year-old tennis superstar Serena Williams revealed that she is, quote, 
evolving away from tennis. After trying for a history-making 24th Grand Slam victory in this year's U.S. Open at the end of this month, she wrote that she doesn't like the word retirement, hence the evolving away language, and that she was reluctant to admit to herself or the people around her that, quote, I have to move on from playing tennis. Wow. Sad news for all of us fans, but I'm sure her husband, Alexis, and four-year-old daughter, Olympia, will be relishing the extra time they get at home with the star. And now this. Yesterday, just before our show went to air, news broke that Olivia Newton-John passed away at age 73. We, of course, updated the show to lead off with the heartbreaking news, but just to take you behind the scenes here at People as a whole, we go to print with the magazine on Mondays. So when this news came in, the entire team here kicked into high gear and stayed late to restructure the issue, crashing a truly beautiful tribute cover story on the star, full of exclusive interviews from those who knew and loved her. That labor of love will be on stands for you all this week. Now, as Australia prepares to honor the late Grease star and hit singer-songwriter with a massive state funeral, here on People Every Day, we're sitting down with one of Newton-John's closest friends to share her thoughts and memories. Beloved the world over, Grease star and four-time Grammy Award-winning singer Olivia Newton-John passed away yesterday after a decades-long bout with breast cancer. She leaves behind a bright legacy that many of her loved ones have been attesting to by sharing their favorite memories and condolences on social media. A close friend and Grease co-star, John Travolta, shared a photo of a young Newton-John on Instagram shortly after news broke, saying, My dearest Olivia, you made all of our lives so much better. Your impact was incredible. And he signed off as your Danny, your John. Well, joining us now to talk about Olivia Newton-John, the icon and the friend, is a woman who was close to her for more than 40 years. Actress and longtime star of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Jane Seymour. Hi, Jane. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Well, 40 years is such a long time. One, my heart goes out to you. Just as a friend, I can't imagine uh, what yesterday was like, what today is even like. You met in an interesting circumstance. Your father actually delivered her nephew, Emerson. Take me back to one of your earliest, your fondest memories with Olivia Newton-John. I, like everyone, you know, we all knew who she was, except, of course, my father. So he had this patient and he had delivered the baby. And, and the reason that she was invited back to the house was my father said she was going to America soon, to Hollywood, and he knew that I was going to be moving out there or trying to go and live there. And he said, oh, and she sings and she's amazing. And her sister sings too. So anyway, Rona and I got along really well. And she said, look, I'm, I'm taking my new baby, Emerson, to America, and I'm going to be meeting up my sister there. And she's going to be finding a place for me to stay to begin with. Would you like to come out? Since I know you're coming out and stay with me and help me with Emerson. So that's what I did. And we became good friends. And then I met Olivia and that was like, oh my gosh, she's a superstar. And then we all kind of hung together a bit from time to time. The time that I really bonded with Olivia was one day when I went to visit her in Malibu on the beach. I had just given birth to my first child, Katie. And Katie was maybe weeks old. And we were on this beach. And I remember Olivia saying, can I? And held her in her arms and just looked at her incredulously and looked at me and said, 
how do you do this? And I said, Olivia, I just had a baby. You know how to do that. She said, no, I mean, how do you do this? I mean, how do you have a career, keep going, work, have a child and do all of it? How do you, how do you have it all? And so really mm-hmm. the basis of our friendship over 40 plus years was how do we do it all? <laughs> so we shared our ups and downs and ins and outs and everything from marriages and relationships to children, to career, to health, to everything. And, yeah. and we were like confidants to one another, really. I remembered this morning that I was trying to get a green card, right? So I could legally work in this country. And obviously she was trying as well. I didn't know that. But I had at that time a husband from England who sort of put together all these clippings and a book and just so that when I came for my interview for my green card, I could somehow impress to these people that I deserve to come and live and work in this country. And of course, he did such a good job that when I came there, this lovely lady looked at it all and said, oh my gosh, well, I mean, clearly you need to have a green card. She said, but it's very difficult. A lot of people just apply with lawyers and stuff because I'm so busy sorting paperwork that I never get to watch television or go to the movies or go to the theater. I don't know who half these people are. And I said, well, do you want me to help you out? And she said, yes, can you? I said, who are you dealing with right now? She said, well, this is a singer from England called Olivia Newton-John. I said, trust me on this one. Trust me. I said, yep, no problems at all. The United States would be happy to have her, okay? <laughs> so then I go home and I pick up the phone and I call Livy and I said, Livy, you're not going to believe what just happened. I said, I went and I got my green card and they asked me about you. I vouched for you, okay? She said, oh, thanks, thanks. She calls me a, a day or so late. She said, are you not going to believe this, Jane? I said, what? She said, I got my green card and all the lawyers and all the money I had to spend, all I needed was you. Wow. Where was this in that Greece physical whirlwind of hers. What was she like in the midst of just that immense spotlight? She had a her boyfriend who appeared to be kind of managing it all. She was in a whirlwind, but she was always very real and, and always had time for her sister and I was always very friendly. The whole time I've ever known her, it was never about her. It was always about you. It was like, oh, how are you doing? Are you okay? Can I get you something? You mm. know, that's who she was. She was very humble. You can see when you look at the early, all the interviews, she's just a very bright, special light, you know? I don't even know that she ever imagined she'd be as famous as she was, but she carried it with such class and authenticity and responsibility. That's rare. I mean, her legacy of being open enough to talk about cancer, to talk about life and just positivity in life. Like, aren't we fortunate to actually exist? You know, I think that's what she left me with. Oh, you said it there that she was just this light and she was. And and I'm wondering, like, what kept that light going? We know Olivia went through a lot of just really public struggles with exes and heartbreaks and, and the ups and downs of motherhood. She and daughter Chloe were open about Chloe's sobriety journey. And, and then came, as you said, that biggest journey of all, Olivia's breast cancer diagnosis. So how did she handle hardship? It was never why me. She never got miserable or angry about it. She would just say, you know what, it's disappointing. I thought I'd beaten this, but I'm just going to press on. I'm just going to keep moving forward. And, you know, I can do this. I used to meet people all the time who said, you know, your friend's not going to be here for very long. And I said to them, including doctors, I said, 
you don't know my friend. <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't listen to other people's timetables. You know, some people can be very healthy and have no will to live, which I think is the hardest thing in the world. And some people have the will to thrive in life and to share it with others. And that was Olivia. I had the pleasure of interviewing her multiple times and she would talk about her husband, John Easterling, and and just what a respite that has been for her. What was the last time you got to talk to her to see her? I think it was February. I had asked, can I come and see you? The time I'd seen her before, she was on a huge number of meds because she was in such terrible pain. She could barely walk. She she was so frail. I, I honestly thought that I wouldn't see her again. And mm. that was a few years ago. And then in February, I went with my sisters who'd come from England and they, of course, knew her sister. And so she said, oh, do, you know, come over. She said, I, I don't know how well I am, but, you know, just, just come by for a little bit. So yeah. we drove all the way. We came on the wrong day. Well, she got the day wrong and she realized and she said, oh, oh, don't go away. And she managed with a lot of help to somehow put some clothes on and come out. Uh. She was too frail. She should not have come out at all. But they sat her down and she just sat with us. And all she wanted to know was what she could do to help us. That was it. Uh. You know, we've got friends and, and family who've been going through cancer. And so that was also a very big part of the conversation is, you know, what can you do? She was just incredibly positive And she just, she wanted to hear about our successes and, and our yeah. happiness and our joy. And, and that was it. You know, she wanted that. She wanted positivity. That was it. Wow. When things like this happen, huge iconic stars pass away. The Googling starts and the younger generations start digging in to their history and their music, but also their legacy. And I was going to ask you what that legacy was, but I think you said it, right? That positivity. I would say that, but I would also say to the younger generation, her authenticity, her class, the way she handled the ups and downs of life and the fact that on top of that, she's one of the most famous people on the planet. <laughs> there are not many people with that kind of success who manage life as well as she did. Wow. Jane, oh my goodness. Thank you so, so much for being able to come on at such a difficult time for you, I'm sure. You're welcome. All right, you guys, yesterday was Monday, which means a brand new episode of The Bachelorette aired on ABC. And as always, there is plenty of drama to get into, including the growing conversation around whether the two Bachelorette format is preventing both Gabby and Rachel from having a true Bachelorette experience. Coming up, we get into all of it with Vile Files host and Bachelor alum, Nick Vile. We'll be right back. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. 
he possesses both a borderline self-destructive frankness and the savvy to know how to use it to his advantage. That is how the New York Times recently described our next guest. It is that frankness that has made his podcast, The Vile Files, one of the fastest growing podcasts over the last few years. It is also the reason why people tune in to get his advice on dating with his Ask Nick episodes and to hear his thoughts on the franchise that thrust him into the spotlight in the first place, The Bachelor. So here today to talk a little bit about last night's episode of The Bachelorette is friend of the show, Nick Vile. Hey, Nick, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Good to see you again. So good to see you. All right, let's jump to last night and talk about this guy, Logan. (laughs) He has been accepting roses week after week from one of the bachelorettes, Rachel, and for a couple of weeks now, been talking to the host, Jesse Palmer, and to producers about how, although he's been seeing Rachel, he really has feelings for Gabby. And last night, he finally told Rachel at the top of the show. So what do you think about how long he waited? And just the, the week after week rejection, Rachel has been going through. I don't really have a problem with how things played out. I think he was put in a very difficult situation, to be honest. When the season started, no one really knew how this very new kind of structure would work with with two bachelorettes. There didn't seem to be a lot of guidance. Like the men were confused. Even even the bachelorettes were confused. And so we found out what episode three or whatever it was, that then they're going to kind of break off into two separate groups. And meanwhile, unbeknownst to Logan, Rachel was feeling insecure on a date and Logan, you know, had a good conversation with both the women and, you know, Rachel called dibs on Logan, so to speak. And Mm. knowing that they're the bachelorettes, they, Gabby wanted to be a good friend to Rachel. There's a lot of like obvious good qualities about these women and these men know very little about them. So I'm sure there was an attraction to both these women to Logan. He didn't really get to decide who he might be more attracted to. Did he accept a couple roses from Rachel? Um, Sure. And I guess you could criticize him for that, but he probably wasn't afforded the opportunity to really sit down with either Gabby or Rachel to have like an honest conversation about his feelings. So I think he was stuck in limbo. So all that said, when he did finally have the opportunity, I thought he was as humble, as gracious as you possibly could be. Well, I mean, you said something there, which is like, you know, he didn't really have a say, but a lot of fans are like, this is the bachelorette well, bachelorettes, like he shouldn't, like they should have the say. They should be able to get fawned all over. It shouldn't be this kind of pitting of one against the other. You know, Gabby had a quote, I don't know where she gave it, but she talked about how she didn't think that the women were being put against each other because they're not choosing to participate in that kind of pitting against each other. Yeah, I mean, they accepted the role of two bachelorettes. And so if you have two bachelorettes, there's going to be some comparison. They still have between both of them, what, 15 guys a piece, you know? So I think it's still pretty okay. Uh, And at the end of the day, this is not a popularity contest. This is not about finding 10 guys that you're into or five guys you're into. It's still about finding one person. I think we have to remember that. That's such a great point to make because I do think it's kind of shifted to that thinking of like, why does Gabby have more, you know, interest right now? Or why is she having more luck? Yeah, I honestly think Rachel, I mean, she seems great, but I think she's prioritizing all the wrong things right now. 
I think it's one of the more realistic seasons as it relates to like modern dating, right? Mm. In the sense that, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with dating because you can kind of constantly feel rejection all the time, right? You can yeah. think about it, you go on dating apps and you're, you're swiping right all the time. And every time you swipe right and you don't get an immediate match, there's this sense of rejection. Yeah. And oftentimes we will focus on the rejection rather than the connections that we're making. And it seems like that's what Rachel is focused on. She has Zach, she's got Tyler, she's got Avon. These are some really strong connections. I would like for Rachel to really prioritize those strong relationships and not focus on being rejected by guys that, quite frankly, I don't even think she likes all that much. Mm. I hope for her that she sees rejection more like clarity rather than disappointment. If she does that, I think this season will turn around for her. And if she doesn't, I worry if she will really be able to like focus on what really matters. Got it. And then real quick, are you a fan of this season, this format? It's different, you know, like... Yeah. Gabby and Rachel are two different women with both wonderful qualities, but different qualities. But yeah, I'm, I'm starting to enjoy it. I, I don't okay. know if I want to keep seeing this format. <laughs> and it, maybe it would be fun to see with two men, two bachelors, to, to, Ooh, to have two bachelors experience talking. kind of that. Because I don't like seeing how Rachel is struggling with it. It is still entertaining television, and that's ultimately what we want. Oh, yeah. Well, moving on to some news of your own. We are seeing you everywhere in the press. And coming this October, you have a new book coming out. The title, Don't Text Your Ex Happy Birthday and Other Advice on Love, Sex, and Dating. <laughs> so why are we not texting our exes on birthdays? Those are, those are very special days, right? Well, yeah, they're, but they're your exes and they're no longer a priority in your life. And whether you're the breaker upper or being broken up with, it usually is a recipe to ruin the day of your ex or ruin your own day. Like we only have a limited amount of energy to expend on anything. And when we are focused on reaching out to our exes, it's never to be nice. I mean, listen, if you want to text your ex five years after you broke up because you've developed some sort of friendship, you know, fine. But I think shortly <laughs> after a breakup, it's uh, usually an excuse to talk to them. And I think it usually has a adverse effects. But I, I go into a lot more detail in the book. Ooh, I can't wait. Well, I, how did the book even come about? I've been obviously doing the relationship advice thing for a while now. Every Sunday on my Instagram, there's kind of weekly questions with Nick where people would submit questions and I answer them with a variety of kind of like funny, snarky and kind of, you know, hopefully empathetic responses that mm -hmm. people seem to enjoy. The idea first was to kind of put together just like a, a coffee table book of all these Q&As. My editor ended up encouraging me to actually write a book. And so reluctantly, not thinking I was much of a writer, <laughs> sat down and and did it. It took a, a couple of years. It's been a, a really rewarding process. And my hope for writing this book is for anyone reading it, whether you're out there dating or you're in a relationship, to try to be honest with yourself about your situation so that you can feel more in control of your dating situation, feel more in control and have more clarity, even if that clarity is sometimes a bit of a, a truth that you might not want to hear in the moment, but that mm. can ultimately free your mind and free your heart in the long run. I love it. Nick, thank you so much for being on. And, and everyone, make sure to check out The Vile Files wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also pre-order his book on Amazon. Thanks so much. Always great chatting with you. Okay, time to send you off with this. It is no secret on this show that I am a full member of the Beehive, which is why I am so excited, but not surprised, that Beyonce's latest single, Break My Soul, is number one on the music charts. Of course it is. I've been singing it 
for days, weeks, really. Um, And I'll spare you my rendition today. Those faithful listeners have heard it before. But it's Beyonce's first non-collaboration number one since 2008's Single Ladies, which just seems crazy to me that, one, it's been that long since she's had a solo song reach number one, and two, that Single Ladies came out 14 years ago. Well, now that Break My Soul is number one, I am hearing it everywhere, and everywhere includes TikTok, where one user's best Denzel Washington impression meets Beyonce. In the video, a man by the name of Christian King turns the lyrics of Break My Soul into a passionate Denzel monologue. And you guys, it's scary good and also a little something to make you smile. I'm on that new vibration. <laughs> yeah. Huh? I'm building my own foundation. That's right. Yeah. Old baby. Huh? You won't break my soul. No, you won't break my soul. I can guarantee it. I stand by it. I'm telling everybody, you won't break my soul. You won't break my soul, okay? All right. I mean, just absolute perfection. No notes. Seriously, he sounds exactly like Denzel. I love it so much. Well, thanks again for spending part of your day with me. I'll see you back here tomorrow with the latest on a brand new episode of People Every Day. <laughs> 